Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Cinema Nerd Presents Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with my good buddy, Dylan Shore, and we are going to talk about my girl. Dylan, uh, you're my girl. Oh, thank you. Aww. I appreciate that. <laughs> what, what is my girl? My girl is the 1991 family dramedy about um, a young girl and her friend just growing up in a, a different time, the 70s. And, uh, yeah, it's a coming of age story, I guess. Very coming of age, I think, is kind of at the heart of this thing, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Before we uh, come of age together, shall we talk about anything else? Have you seen anything interesting lately? Um, I haven't watched too much just because I've been busy with these productions, but the one thing I watched and didn't really care for was, uh, The World to Come. It's got, uh, Vanessa Kirby, uh, Catherine Waterston, uh, Casey Affleck, and Chris Abbott. Like, I love all four of those people. That's a strong cast. It's a very strong cast, but the movie was just kind of bland. The, the dialogue was not interesting and i've just seen better um like uh queer relationship stories like about vanessa kirby and katherine waterston kind of coming together in like the old west but like it just it wasn't done that well okay yeah yeah i'm not super familiar with uh ron hansen or jim shepherd so i couldn't couldn't rely on their bona fides to get me anywhere. Yeah, I hadn't heard about this thing at all. I really like uh, Vanessa Kirby lately, and I'm excited I to do more it. work from her. Oh my god, and she's like they're they're good, but it's I think it's just the script. It was just kind of boggling them down, and they yeah. weren't able to give like great performances for me. Fair enough. Yeah. Right, well, that's the world to come. Uh, I got a couple I can talk about if you're interested let's see a couple of things to mention oh just real quick i caught up with the white tiger and uh it's an i think it's a netflix original at least that's where i saw it and it's um i enjoyed it man it's sort of a uh not exactly like a rise and no sorry i'm getting caught up here it's not exactly a crime story but it kind of has that architecture it's really more about a guy um, finding his place within a brutal capitalist system, you know? Okay. Um, but really gripping performances all around and a pretty good looking movie. It's uh, set in India, it's Indian actors doing yeah, an Indian I'm story. I'm looking at it right now. I definitely want to watch this. Yeah, it's worth a watch. The place that it ends up is really satisfying for me. I like that he's, yeah, I won't spoil it if you're going to give it a go, but I, I yeah, like no, the I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm adding it to my list right now. Right on. So that's The White Tiger. What else? Uh, oh, you know what I saw for the very first time ever in my life? What? Do the Right Thing. Really? Yeah. What a fantastic piece of filmmaking right there. I mean, well-earned reputation, man. It just is. Yeah. I, I kind of... I have a reaction to a lot of movies where I'm like, I'm really enjoying this, but I kind of need something to happen. And then there's a point about halfway through Do the Right Thing where I realize, oh no, it already happened. That's the stakes of this movie. The interloper showed up, the tension has already been raised. 
and it just slipped past me because we're hanging out, you know? Mm -hmm. and, so, and it all builds to a very intense climax. Man, and then when that happens, <clears throat> Spike Lee's prowess as an action director and a you know really strong visual filmmaker, I mean, it's all throughout that movie. It's never soft visually, but because yeah, he's, he's so- always in the camera really quick, like, yeah, no, that that's, yeah, Spike's a master. Well, true master. especially in earlier films, they're like, they're so visually unique. Yeah, he does, you know, um, I guess bookending it with the five bloods from early, or I guess last year now, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, center frame monologues direct to camera and do the right thing. Not a lot, but maybe a little bit of a haunt. Uh, no, I mean, like they all give the love hate speech and like doing all, yeah, yeah. They definitely talk to camera. Yeah. The only real criticism I have of it is I kind of wish Spike Lee wasn't in it. I, I feel like he's a little, he's not an actor, you know, his performance is fine, but every other performance in the movie is so strong that especially when he's interacting with his sister, I can feel her bringing him to her level, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And really kind of dragging chemistry out of maybe not the most adept screen performer, but mm -hmm. I really, man, I was blown away by it. Same. And like he had acted in all of his movies before that, like School Days and um, She Gotta Have It. Right. But the, like he wasn't the, the front and center star of the movies. Uh, there was just so much more going around him, which there is a lot of going around him in Do the Right Thing, too. But he is more front and center for a good chunk of it. Like when he keeps going from the pizza shop to his apartment and then to Rosie Perez's, like the, yeah, yeah, you do linger with him for quite a while in this. Yeah, it's certainly his story, you know, and he's carrying the movie. And, and that's just it, is he has to carry the movie and he's not a movie star. And this is such a magnetic movie that I just kind of want a, a movie star in there, you know? It's Mookie's movie. It's, it's Mookie's movie. Um, moving on, uh, let's see. Oh, I caught up with Kajillionaire also. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't have notes here, so I'm going to move swiftly past it. I really liked it, though. I enjoyed a lot of it. I didn't fully like it altogether. I still want to rewatch it again, though, like and have a second opinion on it. That I, yeah. so I still liked it enough to watch it again. Uh, but I really love <clears throat> the scene in the house where they're all pretending to live, and the old man is dying in the bed upstairs or down mm -hmm. the hall. Just that. That is the reason to see the movie for me. That was such an excellent scene. Right on. Yeah, I think there's a few reasons to see the movie. That's a great scene. I also was blown away by the reveal of like the absolutely bare cupboards at the end and they've mm -hmm. taken literally every single thing. I yeah. think that payoff is really pretty nice and well constructed and well executed too when they get to returning the goods also. Uh, for, uh, the one thing that I felt wasn't warranted and could have, I don't know. I, I'm not Miranda July. I, this is, but when they kiss at the end, I was like, I don't know if Reverend Evan Rachel Wood's character is like that ready for that intimate of an experience. Yeah, well, I mean, she's certainly not prepared. You yeah, know, yeah. Life before then has given her 
human intimacy. <laughs> so it certainly would be a, a jarring experience, maybe, or really like a, a shocking, <laughs> for lack of a better term. But she's, you know, her arc is that uh, self-actualization and, and freedom kind of motif. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It worked for me. I, I think there's a there's a note there, though. Maybe the movie would have worked just as well if they kind of, because that, there's a lot of tension in that moment, a little will they, won't they. And it might have been just as strong if they hadn't and instead sort of held hands or. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah fair. All right. What else do I have here? Oh, I got to talk about some monsters. I caught up with Monster Hunter. Oh, I want to watch it so bad. I, uh, so, okay, when I was filming my buddy's short, we went and saw Nomadland in theaters. And mm -hmm. I had already seen it, but I, he wanted to see it because like it was kind of helping his story. It's a road trip movie. So, uh, but next door was Monster Hunter. And Nomadland is the quietest <laughs> planet. And all you hear is just screams and loud drums. And I'm just like, this is not the moment to hear all of that <laughs> during this movie. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. Yeah, Monster Hunter rules. Yeah, no, I'm very excited to see that. Uh, it's not playing down here in theaters, I don't think. So I'm going to have to rent it on Amazon. Yeah, I had to, had to stream that one. But, um, oh, I do have one more to say that I watched, actually. I just forgot to write it down because I watched it uh, right before I left. Yeah, what do you got? Uh, was the new uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. That's the last one on my list. Let's talk about it. Perfect. Uh, a big improvement from the last ones. I really hated Kong Skull Island. I really hated Godzilla versus King of the Monsters. I really... Uh, I didn't mind the first Godzilla remake from like 2014 or whatever that was, uh, but I didn't like it fully. But this one, on the exception for a lot of the human stuff where it was just kind of bland, the action in this one was incredible. What a step up. The last Godzilla movie, all of its action stuff was boring. I was literally falling asleep in the theater. I thought it was so dumb. So I want to go see this one in the theater because I loved watching it at home. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a fun theater spectacle. And I'll, I'll go with you there. The fight scenes are, you know, impressive and fun to look at. But I had the moment of when the first big fight happens in the water with the tankers, mm -hmm. I had to remind myself why they were fighting and sort of like unpack the stakes of the movie again. And I feel like that's about a solid 30 minutes into the movie before we get to that fight. And like you said, there's a lot of human drama here. So I'm not going to go so far as to say that humans are the problem. Oh, I, honestly, I don't know why Godzilla was so mad in the beginning. I get, he was trying to get that, like a, I kept calling it a, a atomic subparticle reactor. <laughs> That's what they're fucking called in all those dumb movies. But Whatever that was, right? That's what he was trying to get. No fucking idea, man. Like yeah, no fucking idea. <laughs> Dude, I, it went right over my head. I looked at my buddy. I'm like, why is he so mad? <laughs> and then they build stakes from there where it's like, well, we have to counteract the... And I, yeah, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Was not yeah, it's, just, it's literally gobbledygook exposition writing. And But that I want to see King Kong versus Godzilla. So as long as you 
give me many scenes that are long with this bat <laughs> with him battling i'm in so i was very hesitant trying to uh, like before starting this because i was like i don't want a lot of human shit who's ever like a part of this series like producing it they don't like they're just writing stupid boring dialogue and doing way too much of it and not having enough action and when there is action it's kind of boring so this one fucking was awesome when they get to hong kong dude i was like yeah fucking get it they wreck that city dude (laughs) yeah 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 they do and yet i just don't care at all by the time they get there i'm like oh this movie is still happening i just looked up the runtime it's only 150 but it feels like it's about 230 Oh no, see, it flew by for me. There was a portion in the middle where I was like, we are lingering with Millie Bobby Brown and the other two for a little too long here. Let's get away from them. I gotta say, um, I think Millie Bobby Brown is bad at acting. Um, I think she's good in Stranger Things, but everything she's done outside of that, I have not really cared for either. Yeah, that's, that's where I land. I think Stranger Things is good and uses child actors well. Yeah. Um, I think she she might progress as she gets older. Yeah, maybe. it feels like it'll something like that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and we'll be talking about child performances in more detail here. So it's uh, that's a whole aspect of the biz. But yeah, high level. I didn't really care for Godzilla versus King Kong. Um, I yeah. really I, I I liked it better than the King of the Monsters movie. The yeah, film. yeah, that movie is pretty god awful mm-hmm. um and i hated skull island i thought skull island was a huge disgrace and a big disappointment for the king kong universe it really bummed me out i love skull island no there's one thing i like about it and it's john c riley <laughs> john c riley is the one thing to like in any movie that john c riley is in he just elevates material I think John C. Riley is great. I also love the way that it like plays on the monster mythology. I think it's a beautiful film. I think it's a much better looking movie than Godzilla King or this Kong versus Godzilla one. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'd have to watch Skull Island again. There was just a lot of choices. I was like, this is terrible. The slow motion shot with the gas mask and the sword was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Fair it, enough. It was just like, it's so unnecessary. Like, kind of my issue was Zack Snyder's cut. It felt like 50% of that movie was fucking slow motion. I was God. just going to ask if we should talk Snyder cut. I guess we could real quick, because it took me six days to watch it. <laughs> Somebody, so my, uh, James uh, on the Filmography channel asked me, he's like, I'm not going to watch it. Should I watch it? And my response was basically, it's a lot better and still just not very good. Dude, it's... Yeah, that right. It's a it's a lot better, but that's not saying much because it's still not very good. Yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm happy for Snyder to getting to realize his full vision for that story. But it still wasn't good. I'm sorry. Man of Steel sucked. Fucking Batman versus Superman sucked. Justice League, kind not like better, but uh, I don't. It's not as good. No, it it's not good. I'm no. staying to it. It's not good. No, I think none of them are any. I think the only one of those movies that's like actual good is uh, the uh, Birds of Prey. And then yeah, that one was fun. That was I I enjoyed that. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, 
but like I didn't like all of it, but I did enjoy it. There was a lot of stuff I liked about it. I thought Ewan McGregor's performance was hilariously great. Like, what a great comic book villain he makes. Absolutely. Uh, oh my god, when he calls Harley a fucking moron at the end, I like I chuckled so hard. I'm like, this is great. Like, <laughs> fucking, I love you and McGregor, man. <laughs> I I'm actually really happy that he's he gets another crack at Obi Wan. That's gonna be worth watching. Yeah. I think. I'm very curious. And Christensen's gonna get another crack at Darth Vader. I guess. Real curious about that. I'm real curious about that. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I got. Um, I doubt he's gonna be in a lot of it. I suppose you're right. Maybe he'll be a Force ghost. <laughs> all right i'm just gonna trash the snyder cut if we don't move on let's talk about my girl okay yeah same i'll literally spend four hours trashing it all right can we trash it a little bit why is it in four three what the fuck are we doing here dude okay yeah because originally it was supposed to be they shot it in widescreen but then like last minute changed it and snyder said this was the original way that i intended it to be released i'm like why why you need a i don't care about a tall image i want to see the grand scale of everything i've heard some justification around the imax format um but I, i'm not buying it because yeah. a lot of beautiful imax movies maintain an aspect ratio that's appropriate for our modern cinema experience and home viewing experience i don't Just a superhero movie in 4-3 doesn't make sense uh it it really limits your point of view to just looking. I don't know. I like to see the grand scale of the world you are creating and not just a focused off image. I mean, uh, there is some defense to be mounted there because it does focus you on the person, the character in the frame yeah. rather than the rest of the frame. So if you're trying to create this really imposing, heroic visage, I guess the 4-3 does go a long way towards that so maybe i'll give him that um I don't know. I'm, just I'm just seeing like i it's weird seeing a superhero movie in four three i've really only seen it lend itself to dramas to westerns to fucking like not a big grand scale blockbuster production <laughs> yeah i think it's a strange decision basically for any movie at this point you know i don't don't understand it um oh i mean like first cow does it first cow's beautiful we shot our short in four three and black and white to get an 1881 kind of feel i mean there's a justification for a period piece but that but that in and of itself is only informed by our viewing experience the old yeah, yeah. West wasn't in four three the old no, West no, no, existed no, no. in our real world you know yeah 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 but fair enough, at least you have a justification for your choice. Mm -hmm. um, I also really was offended by how it's the news that he's going to release, or they guess they did release the black and white cut a day or two later. And I'm like, oh, I just watched the black and white cut. There's no color in this fucking movie. Uh, of, of Justice League? Of, yeah, the Snyder Cut. There's a monochrome version of it. On HBO Max? I do believe so, yeah why exactly the only color that shows up in that movie is like gold tint from various light sources i, I don't understand i really don't that baffles me 
the only real satisfaction I've taken from it is how much public publication, publicism, what is the word I'm looking for, that the sort of studio practice and the fuckery that Warner Brothers and Joss Whedon were trying to pull off behind the scenes. I'm really glad to hear some of that come to light because it sounds yeah. like they're just um, terrible and don't deserve their position. Yep, I yeah. agree. All right, that's the Snyder Cut. No more of that. No more on Snyder Cut. <laughs> Until Army of the Dead comes out and then we'll talk about Army of the Dead. I suppose we'll have to. Um, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm still a Dawn of the Dead defender, man. I think that movie is oh, real good. Definitely. I still love the original more, but I do like his version. Yeah, fair enough. Yep. Uh, all, right. all right. My girl. My girl. Let's Logan talk Parker. about it. Let's talk about My Girl. I watched this movie a handful of times in preparation because we were going to record, then we were going to record, then we weren't going to record. So I've caught up with this movie a few times and at no point did I really feel like I could latch on to this thing that I was involved or invested. You know what I mean? Um, it felt like a really nice sort of Sunday afternoon movie. And then that's kind of all I have here. <laughs> you know, what, what do you think? Okay. I think this is truly an instance where <clears throat> this is a dramedy for kids. Like, oh, okay. have the, the kids their age watch this movie and they would probably love it, ball their eyes out. They would have a true emotional experience. Cause I did as a kid, like many times as a kid. Absolutely. <clears throat> I think that's a really good point because I do remember this movie having an outsized impact on my youth. Yes. Um, and, and I'm like, uh, I, but as an adult, it, the script itself leans heavy on melodrama and cheesy dialogue. Sure. And don't get me wrong, I think parents having to take a kid to this movie would like be more interested in this kind of movie than a fucking terrible animation movie, right? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, there's more for adults to sink their teeth into, but this is kind of what I'm saying. I personally, but I'm just a, a baby man who likes flashy pictures on the screen. I might rather watch a dumb animation movie than this thing as an adult, because at least it fits a little more in that genre or in that mm, sort of tone. Okay. Yeah, but see, I want to return to your point about it being for kids, because I really think you're onto something there. I think that's mm -hmm. really true. One of the only notes, I have literally two notes written about this movie. And one of them is that it does a really good job of capturing the fear of death, but specifically a child's eye fear of death yes not understanding what that means fully but actually understanding what that means fully and just not being able to bridge that gap intellectually because you're fucking 12 or 10 or however old these kids are you know i think they're nine or ten yeah it does feel like they're a little younger than that huh they're well no because yeah should they got to be like 10 because i think the sequel when Anna Chamonsky comes back, she's supposed to be like 13 in that one. Right on. So I did not like watch that. the sequel, did you? I've never seen the sequel, actually. And it came out in 94. Like, I'm surprised I never watched it. I feel like I have seen the sequel, but I also I conflate these movies with Karina Karina. Oh, that's a, I love Karina Karina. 
Right. Oh man, Whoopi. Oh, and that's Thora Birch, huh? No, it's not Thora Birch. It's the girl that's in Andre uh, about the sea lion. Yeah, but that's uh, not Thora Birch either. No, uh, her. Oh my God, uh, her name is. Um, she's in. Tina uh, Majorino, and she is also in Waterworld. She's the little girl in Waterworld. Okay, and she's also in Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, she's Deb. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And, and again, that's not Thora Birch. I realize nope. that it's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my main note for this movie, Jamie Lee Curtis is so good in this. She's so good. She's always so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> just that's really that was my top note for this movie. <laughs> my my top note is actually Dan Aykroyd is career yeah. best here. So good. Like a true character for him. Like I love seeing him as a dad, like and a mortician too. It's so bizarre. Like what it, this story in itself is odd. Like you wouldn't see this today. Like there would not be a little girl story where her dad runs a morgue in their house and death is surrounding them. It would have to be a novel, a very popular novel first is the way that this movie gets made today mm-hmm. because the story feels really personal. Definitely. And, you know, I got to assume there's some autobiography from, uh, what's her name, Larissa? Sorry, I don't have her name right in front of me. Larissa L. Wani? yeah. Um, she wrote Amazing Panda Adventure. She's <laughs> <laughs> oh, only written uh, five things. Man, I mean, clearly a sensitive person based on the story that's being told here. And I, I don't yeah. blame anybody for bowing out of Hollywood, you know? Definitely not. Especially after you make your nut, just get rich and say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And the director has uh, made, let's see, what do I know of his? He's only made like a solidly 10 movies. And the first one I recognize is Private Benjamin in 1980. I just watched that recently. Uh, And so the one I just watched recently of his is his movie from 89 called The Dream Team with Michael Keaton, Christopher Lloyd, um, Peter Boyle, and uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Stephen First. And they are all a part uh, of a mental institution. They're all crazy people that get taken out to a ball game one day and get away from their caretaker. And they go on a journey through the city being crazy people. It's so funny. It's definitely cheesy and dumb, but I liked it. I, I like his sort of formalist style. You know, it, I the fact that it was Howard Ziff, I kept thinking, you know, I had a brain aneurysm but i was just like oh right this is a ron howard movie because <laughs> of parenthood <laughs> well and just because it has that sort of stayed you know fairly locked off we move a little bit when we need to uh-huh. there's real classical construction of this thing it's not very flashy at all but it's really just solidly built um howard ziff uh unfortunately retired after my girl too because he suffers from parkinson's disease Oh, man. Yeah, and stepped away from the industry. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he did. I'm going to say, My Girl is a good kids movie. 
I think it, it should be shown to children around uh, just in general, like it, it can help them actualize what death is in a way. Yeah, I think so too. And I also like the, you know, it's thematically resonant because it's a lot of people who need to get real about what it is they're doing and why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the fact that her best friend then dies at the end, like melodrama to the fullest, sure. but uh, it hits. I think it really, that, that moment's sad. <laughs> when she, the glasses, that's such a perfectly observed line. And, you know, uh, Klumsky does, I think she's good here, you know, as we'll talk about child performance in a moment. But yeah, when she's screaming about how he needs his glasses to see, that is such a perfect detail and it really is aching, you know? Yep. Um, I think Klumsky's like, you, you get it. You're like, oh yeah, no, she's should have been a bigger child star maybe, or, you know, obviously she's having her success now in the, the Veep era, right? Isn't that her? Yeah, she's in yeah. Veep. And she's great in Veep. She's very, I remember watching that, I'm like, huh, she looks familiar. I don't know who that is. And then like in the fourth season, I realized that she was in My Girl. <laughs> right on. Um, there's a shot at one point though, where it's about halfway through the movie and I'm failing to recall the actual emotional beat, but there's a hard cut from her, like just as she starts to emote. And I think it's a good direction choice, but I just this flag went up in the back of my head where I'm like, oh, I wonder if she couldn't pull that in and they just needed to uh-huh. get away from this. Hmm. Hmm. So how many times did you watch this? Three in total. Three in total. I have seen this movie three times in the past couple of weeks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you know who becomes my MVP by the end of it is the uh, the hippie from the uh, poetry class, the dude. Yeah, the uh, Mr. Bickler, fucking Griffin Dunn. Uh, I love not, not the teacher. Oh, not, not the teacher. teacher. No, the dude. Oh, the hippie guy. Yeah. Gotcha. That dude, uh, Richard Ma- Macer. That's no, 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 no. That's that's the that's her fucking grandpa. I can't really see my fucking thing on IMDb. It's so tiny. I like have to lean in to look at everyone. Yeah, I have to stop. I stopped using IMDb's uh, stuff because I I found, you know, after a few updates, it got unusable. And so now I might mainly get the information from Wikipedia and cross-reference with IMDb if it sounds sketchy. The dude's Mm -hmm. name is um, Tom Villard. Tom Villard. Villard with a V, yeah. And uh, he's you know, these roles kind of for his career. A lot of TV, a lot of TV. Yeah, he's in Greece too. <laughs> nice. Uh, but I do want to shout out Griffin Dunn because uh, I do love me some Griffin. Uh, <laughs> fucking American Werewolf in London. And uh, he directed, uh, what did he direct? Oh, fuck. He's got so much acting stuff. He directed Practical Magic. Wow. That's a movie. Yep, that's a fun little cheesy 90s movie. I always, you know, I will watch movies to watch movie stars have scenes together. Like, actually, I just watched uh, Captain Corelli's Mandolin the other day. Dude, that's so, why is that movie getting brought up? What the fuck? My lead actor was like, hey, did you ever see that Nick Cage movie, Captain Corelli's Mandolin? And I was like, 
Yeah, why? That's such a random poll. And now you, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> uh, in, in my defense, the wife wanted to put it on. My wife. My wife. Um, but I had not seen it in the past, so I wanted to give it a go. And it's, you know, a, I really love the scenery. And it's, it's a gorgeous like scene. Yeah. It's one of the movies where you're like, oh, I'll bet the novel is really good. And, and then there's this the more detail here. and... Well, it probably has a little more ability to set the tone, you know? Some things are just a little anti-cinematic. And when you're talking about years and in like internalizing years of experience, cinema is a little handcuffed to communicate that, you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember the ending of Captain Corelli's mandolin. The volcano goes off and John Hurt dies. So that's what brought me here is that there's scenes between John Hurt and um, Nicolas Cage. But the, like, like, he wrote to her, right? But they, they don't end up together. He wrote to her, but it's not found or something? No, she finds, in the movie, she finds it. Okay. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, they don't end up together, but there is sort of like a coda of oh man oh you know and that's again where i'm like is the movie doing that because i feel like the novel maybe makes a, a bolder choice here hmm. but who knows i have not read the novel uh, yeah i've not either but the point but... is as like every so often there are there are moments in this movie where nicholas cage is yelling at christian bale who is in a scene with penelope cruz and john hurt or william hurt i can never fucking keep him straight John Hurt. John Hurt, thank you. Um, so there's these four super heavyweights on screen. And he's like, yeah, this is great. Keep acting, guys. Keep acting, guys. Now I got to make sure. I'm pretty sure it's John Hurt. That's Yeah, it's John Hurt. <laughs> Redemption. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'm trying to just see if there's any trivia. Bill Murray and Steve Martin were also considered for Dan Aykroyd's role um but both were busy doing other movies what about bob and father of the bride which i love what about bob and father of the bride is great too steve martin would have completely thrown the tone of this thing off but i think bill murray is maybe a good slot there mm -hmm. chevy chase was also considered fuck chevy chase yeah fuck that guy He's so uh, distracting. So that actually leads me to a point about Dan Aykroyd, who I really enjoy, but often find super distracting as an actor, just because he's so like ginormous as a person, but also as a personality. And his personality yeah. is so distinct that unless he's doing like really purposeful character work, his naturalistic stuff, I'm sort of like, well, okay, but you're Dan Aykroyd. What's going on okay. here? I think Dan Aykroyd was the right choice for this. He's great, man. He really, really is pulling off the pathos and the the sort of detached thing and whatever. He's good, man. Uh, and this movie made money. That like, I believe. Money. Budget I was. I might have seen it in a theater. I didn't because I was born. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was born like six months before this came out. It would have been an early one for me, but not that early. Yeah, 121.5 million altogether on a $17 million budget. 
ooh, no, they had to make a sequel. <laughs> no yeah, choice. They did. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's, yeah, good for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this oh, she's 11. That's how old she is. That tracks. Yeah, that's, yeah, she, because she, oh, right, she, you know, experiences the beauty of Manash. She comes into her uh, adult form. Uh, that's a really disgusting way to phrase puberty. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a, a plot point here. So she's, you know, she's becoming uh, aware of the grander and sort of more challenging parts of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was inspired by a childhood friend of the writers who lived in a funeral home. Yeah, I, it really tracks it does feel very personal and I, I you know i like that I'd rather see a little bit of authenticity you know yep definitely yeah. yeah no honestly i think this is a movie for kids to watch still to this day i think it could hold up for a 10 11 year old absolutely i think you're right and it does it really has some stuff to communicate there and that's yeah. hard to do it's hard to make a live action kid movie with darker themes without making without making it uh while still making it palatable for the kid who you are intending to make the movie about yeah. like that's ultimately your goal like you're making a movie about 11 year olds you want 10 and 11 year olds to go see this to see other people going through stuff that they are yeah. it's not for the adults but the adults can still enjoy pieces of the movie no, I think that's a really astute observation. I think that's the right take. Uh, it, we don't, it's not something that we do at all anymore. And I don't think it's just because of the difficulty of landing that balance. I think it's got more to do with sort of the sanitization of corporate media. Mm-hmm. But man, you, you know what it kind of reminds me of is like books that I read in middle school, like Where the Red Fern Grows or On My Honor that are very much about death and you you kind of have to take them in when you're so yeah 12-ish when you're reading mm-hmm. when I was reading those but there's not a, you're right there's not a lot of that outside of like animal movies right like old yeller is the one or where the red fern grows mm-hmm. mm. a black stallion or uh black stallion's a good a good kids adult movie right on. that's a great one um yeah the I don't think I have personally seen within the last 20 years a movie like My Girl get put out probably. I'm trying to think. Nothing's coming to mind. You got anything? No, not at all. Mm. Like, I'm sure there's going to be one or like a few that we are forgetting here, but one with like this big of a cast, like Macaulay Culkin was fucking huge. And Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis. Come on. And it's it's bold. Another thing that wouldn't happen now is because of the like the star power that Macaulay Culkin had at this point. The fact that he's not the star of this movie that we ever are not with him. It just wouldn't totally. be the case, you know. Nope. It's great Absolutely. that this gets to just be her story. Yep. Wow, that is crazy. They got Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Ninety one. Wait, ninety one. The first Home Alone had come out in 90, right? Uh, I think Home Alone is 91. I'm not entirely 90, sure. 90. The first Home Alone is 90. Is 90. So yeah. he probably filmed My Girl right after Home Alone. Yeah. 
and yeah, then Home Alone blew up, yeah. therefore making My Girl blow up hard. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. You're probably right. Just yeah. riding that Macaulay wave, huh? Mm-hmm. And the second one came out in 92. So right after he filmed My Girl, he went to go do Home Alone 2. Uh, it was working. He was working, man. Wow. You know, the only other movie that's sort of coming to mind right now that has a similar gravity but is for kids or pitched at kids is E.T. Yeah, but that's still way before this. Like, that's 82. Even yeah. Stand By Me. Stand By Me is a great movie about kids finding a dead body. Like, uh, but that was 90? No, I'm not 90. Uh, 80... Yeah, mid-80s. 84, even? 85, I think. Yeah. 86. So yeah, um, I can't really, I've never seen My Girl 2. Maybe they deal with the same kind of thing again, but still, it's part of this world. More sad movies for children. Yep. <laughs> this is the takeaway here. Yeah, that's really, that's all my notes. Yeah, I, I, I think, too. I'm curious if like adults would like, did you watch this with uh, the wife at all? Did she like it? Uh, she caught a little bit of it, but it was not not there with me, no. Gotcha. Well, I'm curious what other people would think as an adult seeing it. Let's subject some strangers to it and see what they say. <laughs>